Welcome to this podcast from Christchurch London. For more information and resources, please go to ChristchurchLondon.org. Good morning, everyone. Um, and welcome to Christchurch London. Thank you for being here. Um, I hope that you are enjoying the bank holiday weekend. Uh, I am definitely enjoying the long weekend. It is nice to be back. I was away last weekend uh, in Budapest, uh, which is just really me boasting about being on holiday. It was lovely, but it's been really nice to be back in London with all the sunshine. Um, for those of you that don't know me, I'm Vicky. Um, I've been a part of Christchurch London for about six years now, um, and I'm currently involved in coaching some of our Connect Group leaders here at the Central Service. Um, I live in Greenwich, kind of Blackheath area, and by day I work as a child protection social worker. That's a little bit about me. Um, today we are finishing off our series uh, entitled Encounters with Jesus. And over the last couple of months, we have been looking at different people within the Gospels and their experiences of meeting with Jesus. And as we've looked at each of these individuals, we have been thinking about how Jesus has met their needs. And uh, today, we have just heard about Mary Magdalene. In the passage, read wonderfully by Stephanie this morning, uh, we see that early in the day, when it is still dark outside, Mary goes to visit the tomb where Jesus' body had been laid. Jesus had been crucified three days previously, uh, and yet when Mary arrives at the tomb, she finds that the stone covering the entrance to the tomb has been moved. And it seems likely that she is afraid that Jesus' body had been stolen, uh, and in her distress, she goes to two of Jesus' disciples. We have Simon Peter named, and the other, titled The One That Jesus Loved, is likely to be John. And uh, she tells them what she has seen, and together they rush back to the tomb. And uh, when they get there, we see that there is some investigation um, as to what might have happened. They find the strips of linen, the kind used to wrap Jesus' body, uh, but there is no sign of his body. And the text says that whilst John believed, he did not recognize at this point that Jesus had rose from the dead. So I think although there is some suggestion that they had wondered if uh, what might have happened, happened and that God might have been involved, they didn't fully understand. And as a result, they go home. But Mary remains, and we find her here in deep grief. Uh, And she sees two angels who ask her why she's crying. Uh, And she then converses with a man who she initially believes to be the gardener, who she then finds out is actually Jesus. She is overcome with emotion. And uh, when she realizes that he is no longer dead, and she eventually returns to tell the others all that she has seen. I don't know about you, but I cannot help but feel a real sense of compassion for Mary. I mean, what a day. Uh, She has been through quite an ordeal. But who is Mary, and why is her story so significant? Well, the Gospel writers mention Mary on a number of occasions. Uh, Luke and Mark refer to her initially as a woman who was set free from seven demons. So what we know is that her experience at the tomb is not her first significant experience with Jesus. And from the narrative that we are given about her life, we see that she experiences a dramatic change when she meets Jesus. And her whole life seems to unfold from this change in her personal circumstance. 
The Gospels also refer to her in context of a group of women that travelled with Jesus and with the disciples. And it says that they were a group of women who supported them with their own resources, who travelled around. And whenever this group of women are mentioned, Mary's name is often first. And in those days, ordering was really important. So what we see here is that Mary was a prominent woman who travelled with Jesus and with the disciples. And we get this picture of her as this passionate woman who had experienced some really exciting things. And I think that this account of her time outside the tomb just reiterates that. So this morning, I would love us to look at three different aspects of her story. Uh, Her confusion, her calling, and then her commission. And then I want us to have a think about what these things might mean for us. So I've called the first part of this confusion, uh, mainly for alliterative purposes. You guys know the deal, three points, all alliterative, meant to help you all pay attention. Um, I hope that helps. Um, I think that rather than simply confusion, though, what we see is a really desperate woman. Um, The passage starts by noting that although it's the first day of the week, um, it is still dark. And I think that John mentions this on purpose, and we're going to come to that in a moment. But I think that Mary's spiritual and emotional state of mind can probably best be described by darkness. This was a woman who had been with Jesus throughout much of his ministry, supporting him and his disciples financially, And we can imagine that she had been a witness to a great number of Jesus' miracles. And we can also assume that she had sacrificed a huge amount to live the life that she was. And yet Jesus had died. He had been brutally killed by the rulers of the day and thus left his followers behind, confused and grieving. And passage indicates that when Mary gets to the tomb and she finds that Jesus' body isn't there, she is incredibly distressed. Historians tell us that uh, kind of grave robbing was such a prolific crime that there were a number of laws made uh, which said that this could no longer happen. And it's clear that Mary seems to believe that this is what has happened. And yet, uh, she, there is no suggestion at this point that she thinks that Jesus might have come back to life. And I think in this chapter, what we see is that Mary has lost everything of importance to her because her whole life had been wrapped up in Jesus. I wonder if you have ever felt like that. Everything that is important to you, gone. Perhaps everything that you thought you knew about God suddenly called into question. As I was thinking about the loss that Mary experiences, I was reminded of a part of Lord of the Rings. Uh, Yes, I am stealing all of Andy's preaching material. He isn't here today, so it's fine. Nobody tell him. Um, But there is this part in Return of the King uh, where there are two hobbits, Frodo and Sam, good friends, and they are uh, heading into Mordor to destroy the ring. And uh, at this point, they are following the creature Gollum. And Sam, as Frodo's friend, is a bit concerned that Gollum is maybe not actually out to help them. And true to form, uh, Gollum makes up a story that Sam has eaten all the food provisions, and Frodo sends Sam home. At this point, it looks like um, like Sam's involvement in the story has come to an end. And then what we find is that Gollum is setting Frodo up. Uh, behind me, you can see pictures of uh, clips from the, the movie. Uh, but what we find is that Gollum leads Frodo into the lair of a spider titled Shelob. Sometimes you're really glad that you're not in a fantasy novel, aren't you? Um, anyway, what we see is Frodo uh, fighting this giant spider, 
and then his friend Sam coming to the rescue. And a battle ensues between Sam and Shelob uh, as Sam tries to rescue his friend. And yet when he gets to Frodo, what he finds is that Frodo has been stung by the spider. He is wrapped up, ready to be eaten, and Sam believes him dead. In that moment, Sam has lost his friend. He's lost all hope of destroying the ring, but he's also lost all hope of returning home. And we see him distraught. Now, spoiler alert, Frodo isn't actually dead. Uh, it turns out he's just been stung, and Sam goes on to rescue him from some orcs, uh, and they continue on their journey. But there is a moment there where he thinks all hope is lost. And I think that's something of what Mary might feel in this passage. She has lost her friend, her purpose, and her future as Jesus died. Is it any wonder that we find her crying? And when we think about what Mary needs at this moment in time, I think that what we find here is a woman dealing with the brutality of death and in need of hope. And yet the problem is when we look at her circumstances, we find that there is none to be found. But although Jesus definitely died, that is not the end of the story. And we see two angels talking to her, questioning her, why she is crying because they understand that the grief that she is carrying no longer makes any sense. So why doesn't Mary's grief make any sense? Well, before Mary is in an empty tomb, the passage tells us that there are strips of linen and burial cloth by the tomb. For any reader, this suggests that whilst Mary might have thought that Jesus' body had been carried off, they would have recognized that no grave robbers in their right mind would have unwrapped a dead body before carrying it away. A few weeks ago, uh, Hannah Elwin spoke to us about Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha, and about how Lazarus had died and his sisters had despaired. And then Jesus had come along and with great compassion had raised Lazarus from the dead. And what we see is that uh, Jesus calls Lazarus's name. He instructs him to come out of the tomb and says, take off the grave clothes and let him go that there are grave clothes lying abandoned in the empty tomb of Jesus gives us an indication that the Jesus story is not dissimilar from the Lazarus story. And it is one of several hints that God's fingerprints are all over the situation. It tells us that resurrection stories are central to who God is. And I think as those of us who have heard the end of the story, it seems easy for us maybe to look at Mary and wonder how on earth she missed what was right in front of her face. She presumes that Jesus is a gardener, not recognizing that he is her Lord. I think practically there is some indication that Jesus's body had, uh, was slightly different because it was a resurrection body. But I think also what we really see is that Mary was struggling to see what was in front of her because she did not believe that Jesus could be alive. And if we go back to the start of the passage where uh, John talks about how her day started out in the dark, we can think a little bit about her mindset. As a writer, John frequently contrasts the images of light and dark uh, as a way of talking about life and death. And uh, at the start of his gospel, he describes Jesus. And he says this, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shined in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. 
and weaving these images throughout his narrative, uh, John is trying to describe the spiritual experience of what it means for someone before they know who Jesus is and then after once they have grasped it. Mary's darkness then is both a literal explanation of the very early morning, but is also a symbolic explanation of her state of mind, both in regards to her emotions, but also in terms of her faith and her relationship with God. You see, with Jesus dead, all light, all life seem gone. I wonder where you would say your mindset is this morning and which aspect of Mary you would most identify with. So what is it then that brings Mary out of despair? What is it that makes her grief no longer make any sense? Well, there is this beautiful moment uh, where Jesus simply says her name. And for me, it has echoes of the story of where Jesus calms the storm. Except that rather than a literal external storm, this storm is an internal one. In Jesus's, in Mary's heart and mind. Where Jesus brings calm to the storm by declaring that the sea be still, he calms Mary by calling her name. Mary is anxious, afraid and confused, and Jesus calls to her. Now, perhaps it is because of the tone of voice that he uses. But for the first time, she recognizes that it is Jesus, who though he was dead, is now alive. The calling of Mary wakes her up. It is much like the turning of darkness to light, much like the turning uh, to morning from night. What is it then about this experience of being called that is so powerful? Well, I think that to be called is to be seen, and to be seen is to be known, and I think that that is probably one of the greatest desires that we all have. Uh, like I said, I, I live in Greenwich. I moved there just under a year ago, uh, along with a number of other people from Christchurch who wanted to uh, be doing a local community but still be being in a big city. And there are all sorts of things I love about where I live. Uh, this is Greenwich Park. It is beautiful. You should go. I have never seen it look this empty. Um, that is not reality. That is just Google. Uh, normally on a, on a kind of summer's day, it is full of people unless you are running out of the park as they try and close the gates, because they do do that, just as a warning. Um, but there are a number of things that I love about where I live. But I think probably one of the most exciting things is that when I pop out, I often now bump into people that I know. And um, whether I am on the bus on the way to work in the morning, uh, or when I pop out for a run, or if I go out for coffee at the weekend, um, often I will hear someone calling my name and I will turn around, and voila, it is one of my best friends. Um, I can see a number of you in the room being like, yes, that is me, it is. Um, but it has been one of the most fun and exciting parts of kind of this new chapter. And as I've thought about what that means, I've realized that just like Mary, who was called and seen and known, that is what we get to experience when we uh, kind of live in community. And what this amounts to is living loved. And this is what Mary glimpses. You see, for Jesus to have called Mary's name, uh, there had to have been relationship. In John 10, 27, Jesus says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. We know that Jesus had changed Mary's life by setting her free from seven demons. And I can imagine that that first experience, that first taste of freedom, was a bit like feeling truly alive for the first time. 
But as Jesus dies, it's like that life and that freedom is silenced. And with it comes a return of all Mary's turmoil and fear. And yet Jesus calls to Mary, and it's like we can taste the sweetness of this moment. Because just like the parallels between Lazarus and the tomb of Jesus, Mary gets to experience the familiarity of God's presence in her situation. In the call of Mary's name is a recognition of her whole story, where she has come from and where she is going. You see, Mary had seen in the past that Jesus was more than capable of dealing with all of her mess. And she experiences that again in this moment. See, in the call, Jesus invites her to return to a state of peace. I became a Christian when I was a teenager, and uh, not long after I had decided to follow Jesus, I thought I should probably start going to church. Um, and I found one that was nearby. They met in a B&Q warehouse, and I thought that was kind of edgy. Um, I became less edgy as I moved to London. Um, but I started to go along, and I was really new to the whole faith thing, um, and also really new to the whole prayer thing, and I had all kinds of questions. And I remember kind of trying out prayer, so essentially kind of trying to talk to God, tell him what I was thinking, and talk to him about various situations. And I recall in one particular uh, time when I did that, I was um, kind of praying about something in the morning. And that evening, I went to church. Now, I hadn't been around for very long. um, And I remember someone came over to me, and they just said that they wondered if they'd heard a whisper from God, which they then proceeded to share with me. And um, in that moment, I kind of recognized that God is real. (laughs) And it wasn't that I hadn't believed that. But what they had shared spoke directly into a situation that they could have known nothing about. Uh, I hadn't been there very long, people didn't know me, and yet they were able to share something that was really profound for me at the time. Now, you know, years on, and I've had countless experiences like that, of where God shows up in ordinary life. Even a couple of weeks ago at the Love London Sunday, someone prayed for me uh, and kind of shared something which directly responded to stuff that I'd been asking God about. Now, you might be here and just be thinking, that is a nice coincidence, that stuff just happens. And maybe you are right. But what if that is not it? What if God really is alive? And what if he could call your name today? What if he could speak into situations in your life, bringing clarity and peace? What if he could still a storm for you? When we meet Mary at the start of this story, she has been confronted by the biggest thing that we have no control over, death. And I think even by modern day standards, we know that death is not simply a conclusion. It is often associated with loss, grief, sickness. And so the creep of death spreads throughout all of our lives. Mary is in need of hope. She is in need of life and an end to the destructive power of death and all its effects. And in Mary's encounter with Jesus, this is what she gets. The resurrected Jesus, alive again, calling her name, bringing her freedom. It is as beautiful as it sounds. And as we think about Mary, I think maybe her confusion and her calling read as a remarkable story. But perhaps it is a little difficult for us in 21st century London to understand how this woman's life might have some bearing on our own. 
And I think that one reason why this story is so powerful is that I think that it is also the start of ours. You see, Mary's story ends with her being commissioned. Commissioned means to be sent out, and she is sent to go and tell the disciples about all that she has seen. And yet we know that those followers of Jesus go on to tell what they have seen and experienced of Jesus all over. It is through generations of disciples doing that exact same thing that any of us are sat here this morning. So I wonder, why is Mary commissioned? How might that influence us? Well, we have seen how Mary meets Jesus. And in her encounter, she finds that Jesus has the power to conquer death and all its effects. And at the beginning of the Bible, we read in Genesis that God created the world with careful design and order, making women and men to care for it in partnership with God. And then we see Adam and Eve disobey God, breaking his laws which were intended to keep them living the life that he had planned. And thus, death comes into the world. The history of the Bible shows humanity trying to find a way to get past that barrier of death and disobedience relating to God as was always intended. So when we see Jesus alive, what we are seeing is not just Mary's life being transformed by her witness of death being overcome by God, but rather we are seeing through her an opportunity for anyone's life to be transformed by the risen Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15 puts it like this. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. It sounds a lot like good news to me. So how do we encounter the transforming power that Mary does? But I think a big part of this depends on a couple of unusual verses uh, in this passage. Jesus tells Mary that she is not to hold on to him. And initially, this seems actually quite strange, as if Jesus is telling Mary not to get too close. Um, But I think what he's really telling her is that what he's doing this time around is different to what she's seen before. He is doing a new thing. Uh, We read in the start of the book of Acts that whilst the physical Jesus appears to scores of people following his resurrection, there comes a time where he ascends to heaven to be with his father as planned. He is physically gone. It was great to reflect on that during worship this morning. And as Liam shared, if I'm honest, I have also thought often about the ascension as if it is about absence. Maybe that Jesus was too holy or too whole to remain in the kind of chaos of our world once he had been resurrected. And thank goodness this isn't the case. Uh, Rather than absence, Jesus' ascension is really about his presence. Because shortly after this description, what we then see is the Holy Spirit coming on his disciples. And Acts talks beautifully about their experience of meeting with the Holy Spirit. And it talks about the Holy Spirit bringing the presence of God into the lives of those who would choose to follow him. That is, bringing resurrection power to those who would ask. One of my favorite writers at the moment is a woman called Shauna Nequist. Uh, She is the daughter of Bill and Lynn Hybels, um, who we have often quoted here at Christchurch. And they are kind of church leaders in America. They have written scores of books, um, numbers of which I'm sure you guys have read, um, and they lead a large church out in the States as well. 
And um, one of the reasons why I love this woman's writing is because she has the kind of fantastic ability to show what it is uh, when the Holy Spirit kind of transforms ordinary lives. And this is much like what Mary experiences. In her first book, Cold Tangerine, she writes, we are changed and inspired and ennobled, able to see the handwriting of a holy God where another person just sees the same old tired streets and sidewalks. I think that she is demonstrating that for those who are living in the knowledge of the resurrection, it is like the very fabric of reality takes on new color and depth and texture. And it is this vibrant, full life that Jesus invites us into by the Holy Spirit. So what does all of that mean for us? Well, I think that this passage presents us with two main invitations. I think the first is that we are invited uh, to explore the claims of Christianity. For me, some of the most compelling evidence for Christianity lies in who was a witness to what had happened. You see, no right-minded PR person in Jesus' day would have given this story to women because it would have discredited the message. And yet Jesus does his own thing, always, uh, and he declares Mary, and along with her, every other <laughs> marginalized, supposedly unacceptable witness worthy of this good news. You see, if the resurrection is true, that it would seem to follow that Jesus is worth investigating. Here at Christchurch, uh, we do think that asking big life questions is an important part of what we should be doing. Um, and if you are here today, uh, you are very welcome regardless of where you are at. But if you would like to give space to asking some of those questions, talking with other people, I would love to encourage you to take part in Alpha. Um, as Liam shared, we have a number of courses starting in coming weeks. I happen to know some of the guys who are going to be leading the stuff at, kind of at Central in Covent Garden. They are cracking humans. I can thoroughly recommend spending an evening with them. Um, but I would encourage you to take up the opportunity. I think that what we see with Mary is too exciting to ignore. I think that what we see with her is something worth exploring. I think that this passage also, though, gives us another invitation. And the second invitation is that we are able to encounter Jesus ourselves. I wonder if the band could come back. Over the past few months, as a church, we've been looking at different stories within the Gospels. We've been looking at how Jesus meets the needs. From Nathaniel to Nicodemus, to the Samaritan woman, to the woman caught in adultery, the man healed in Bethesda, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, Peter, Pilate, even Mary Magdalene. These are all really nice stories, and I really hope you've learned some great things. But if the resurrection is true, then these are more than simply nice stories about some long-dead people who followed a long-dead wise guy. You see, if the resurrection is true, it means that you and I can have stories like theirs. It means that all of our circumstances are opportunities to encounter Jesus. I'm going to say that again. It means that all of our circumstances are opportunities to encounter Jesus. 
You see, wherever you find yourself this morning, this week, or even this year, Mary's story is simply one lens by which we see Jesus doing what Jesus has always done, meeting with individuals and bringing them to life. I wonder what your life would look like if all of your circumstances were really doors by which to encounter Jesus. I wonder what our church would look like if we were a people that helped others to encounter Jesus like that. This morning, I would love to pray for us um, because I would love us to be a people with many stories like what we read in the Gospels with many stories of Jesus's remarkable work in our lives. And so I wonder if you would stand with me. (coughs) I would love to pray for the Holy Spirit to come. And I wonder if we could use this kind of closing time of worship as an opportunity to throw open kind of our lives to ask God to meet with us, to ask that we would be people who get to encounter him, that we would get to be a church where others can encounter him. So perhaps you might want to close your eyes as I pray. Father, we thank you that you are good to us. We thank you that you show us in countless ways and in countless places, how great your love is for us. And we rejoice that you did not stay dead in a grave, but that you are alive today, risen today. And I thank you that your resurrection means that all of the things that we hear about what you did mean that you are with us and available to us today. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, would you fill us this morning? I thank you that wherever we are at, you are able to meet with us. That you love to encounter your people. That you love to bring us what we need. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray, would you be poured out here this morning? Would you whisper kindly to us? And I pray, too, that this church family would be a place where we encounter Jesus and help others encounter him, too. I thank you that we have seen the remarkable work of Jesus in many of our lives, and I pray that we would be eager to share those stories. I thank you that the resurrection is our story, and I pray that we would live in the light of that this morning, this weekend, and into the coming week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or for further podcasts and downloads, please visit ChristChurchLondon.org.